You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou So we're going to be getting into some deep waters biblically today. And I want really hard to try and avoid jargon as I communicate to you because there was a lot of jargon when I learned this. Um, you know, learning as a Christian is a lifelong endeavor. Whether you're person who comes to church on Sundays or whether you're a pastor. Luther said at the end, towards the end of his life, he said, you know, the Bible is like a forest and I can't claim to know all its pathways, but I've tried to shake every tree. Um, so we keep learning as we get together and I'm going to share some stuff with you in today's scripture reading, uh, today's scriptures that have radically changed the way I read the Bible. Um, some knowledge that has helped me, especially with the Old Testament, but it's also going to have a direct impact on the way we hear St. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth today. So um, I'm going to, the, the point is there's going to be real application for all this. This is not just your pastor geeking out on Bible knowledge, which I can do. <laughs> I like that stuff. Um, so let's, uh, let's join for a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of your word as it comes down to us through the centuries, as it enlightens our minds. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as our minds are enlightened, our hearts may be warmed, we may be drawn ever more closely to you, so that heart and mind coming together, we may be your ever more faithful people. Bless us, O oh Lord as we seek your will and your ways. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if I were to ask you, as a relatively well-informed, well-catechized, well-taught Christian, if I were to ask you this question, man, it sounds like my batteries are going dead here. There we go. Does God have a body? If you're relatively well-formed, you'd probably answer like this. Does God have a body? Before the incarnation, the answer would be no. After the incarnation or since the incarnation of Jesus, you would probably answer yes. Yes, God does have a body. And this is the way I would have answered up till maybe four months ago. But I learned something from a great biblical scholar... Um, and it's this, that this is really not the Bible's perspective. It's really not the Bible's perspective. In fact, this is true, but it's not something you can understand directly by reading the Bible because the Bible assumes you already know this. 
The Bible was written by, especially the Old Testament, was written by ancient Jews for ancient Jews. And it assumes that you already know certain things as you begin to read the Scriptures. And this particular set of beliefs actually was not even just restricted to ancient Jews. It was common to all the people of what we think of now as the Middle East. This way of thinking. Okay? So, when we think about a body, the body of God, we're just going to go through some passages because even though, even though the Lord, uh, like I said, you can't exactly find this in the Scriptures, it's implicit in the Scriptures. So look at, we're just going to look at some together. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus 33, 11. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, Isaiah 52, 11. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, Psalm 34, 15. And of course, the Apostle Peter quotes it in his first letter. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, 2 Samuel twenty two sixteen. 16. I, I love this one in particular because, um, did you ever laugh so hard you snorted? That's what, that's what it's picturing God as doing. God, God just like laying the foundations bare just by, like, with derision, he snorts. And here, most telling of all, we have Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Genesis 3.8. If God doesn't have a body before the incarnation, how do they hear God walking in the garden? Now this should all clue us in to the fact that this is not mere poetic imagery. Not merely poetic imagery. In fact, before the incarnation, God does indeed have a body, but it's not a physical or fleshly body. Now we're going to talk about why that is in biblical perspective. Well, we're going to start with human beings because human beings are easier to understand than God. We have a little more experience of us. Okay? So, here's the way we tend to think of human beings because we are modern people living after the Enlightenment and in particular, the Greek philosophy that influenced the Enlightenment. Okay? And then the, the various things that spin out of that. We tend to think of the body as an object that you can see, touch, smell, whatever. You know, something you can physically address. All right? And then we tend to think of the soul as something inhabiting the body, inside of it, animating it. But that's not the way Jews thought. It's not, this was a very Greek thing to think. Sticking with my Star Trek theme, this is my uh, administrative assistant for the day, Data. And... Um, Here's the way that Jews thought about the body. They thought of the body as what a local pastor here from Emmaus uh, calls the nexus of potentiality. And he said he likes that phraseology because it has the best Star Trek application potential. And I'm going to send this video to him to let him know I beat him to the punch using it in a sermon. <laughs> but maybe a better way of thinking of it, maybe a more intelligible way than the nexus of potentiality is this. The collection of powers 
energies, and abilities whereby we exert our will on the world. Let me say that again. The body, even for humans, is first and foremost that collection of energies and powers and abilities whereby we exercise our will on the world around us. So contrary to the Greek idea, where you've got a body inhabited by a soul, the Jewish idea is very different. The Jewish idea is this. First you have the soul. Now the word we translate as soul from the Greek, which remember at the time of Jesus was both the language of the New Testament and the language that most Jews read the Old Testament in. The word psyche is not just the word for soul, it's the word for life. The whole of the life comes first. That's what you might refer to as the human soul. And then, within the soul, is the body. This ability we have to exert power, the force of our will, out on the world around us, having an influence on the people and events and things that go on. And then within the body, the flesh, the thing we can actually touch, see, here, unfortunately, if you've ever served, been, ever been part of a teenage uh, sports team, you can smell it too. The soul is greater than the body, and the body is greater than the flesh. Now, this is abundantly clear in the languages of the New Testament, but despite all that, I still didn't pick it up for 20 years until this pastor taught me about it. And that's because in Greek, the word for body is soma. There's actually two separate words going on here. The word body is soma, from which we get our English word somatic. The word for flesh is sarx, from which we get our English word sarcophagus. Okay? So you have a body and you have flesh. This is the Jewish perspective on what it, how a human being is composed. Soul, body, flesh, in that order. Now, God is very, very similar. We're told point blank by John that God is spirit. And then we hear all throughout the scriptures about God's body, which is his power being exerted into the world. And then, and then, at the nativity of Christ, at his conception in the womb of Mary comes the flesh of God, the person of Jesus Christ. So God is spirit and body and flesh. Now, the Bible portrays humanity very much like God, but in smaller stature. God is all-powerful, we have some power. God is all-knowing, we have some knowledge. God is all-loving, we have some love and some other stuff. And here's what's important, is that the Bible does not portray God in a human way. 
Especially under the influence of the Enlightenment, we have tended to say that whenever the Bible says things like God has shown his arm, God has eyes, God, his eye is on the sparrow in Jesus' words, we tend to think of ourselves as going, well, we're just putting human words on God so we can understand it. That's not the way the Bible pictures it. God pictures us as being made in a God-like way. Made literally in the image of God from the first chapter of Genesis. So we can hear because God can hear. We can see because God can see. This is why Jesus says, let those who have ears hear. He doesn't mean that they didn't have physical things attached to their head. He means that their spiritual capacity to hear was missing. We are like God, but in much smaller degree and stature. Now, what's the application of all this? Much fun as all this Bible knowledge is, what's the application? It especially comes in when we talk about the language of the body of Christ. Okay? This is going to help us, un it's going to help us understand lots of stuff in the Old Testament so that when Moses speaks face-to-face -face with God like he would with a friend, he means he's communicating with that level of clarity and intimacy. The Lord's mighty arm is His ability to shield His people and protect them in battle. His eyes are the ability to see all that goes on. But when we talk about the body of Christ, this especially is helpful. Because people often will ask questions like, well, if, God's in, if Jesus is in heaven, how can He be present with us? The flesh of God is ascended to the Father, but the body of Christ is much larger than Christ's flesh. We can be part of the body of Christ because Christ's influence and power and ability and energies extends far beyond His physical body, far beyond His flesh. Now, when we, in our great diversity, are brought into the body of Christ. God calls us by His sovereign grace and pulls us into Himself. We become part of something that's been going on since Pentecost. Just as you heard in our Gospel reading today, Looking backwards from Christ, even to the people of God in the Old Testament, God called people into His people. He called individuals to become part of His people, and when they had served in their generation, a new person was brought in. It's the same way, it's the same way He continues to invigorate the church, bringing new people into His body as the people who have served in their generation go to be with His body in heaven, the church triumphant. This is just the same way your body works, actually. Do you know that there's not one atom in your body right now that was there seven years ago? Every seven years, all of the atoms in your body are exchanged. You still know who you are, don't you? Even though all the atoms are different? I know what I did 10 years ago. I would claim it was me, even though the, all the atoms are different. It's the same way with the body of Christ. And you replace the atoms in your body. Um, if you're smart, you're going to do it back at coffee hour with all the stuff everyone's made. <laughs> you eat and digest, and, and those atoms become part of who you are. 
This is not the way Christ does it. He incorporates us into His body through holy baptism, as we just heard from 1 Corinthians. We are made part of the body of Christ. And in the middle of that body, the Holy Eucharist is celebrated. Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever words you want to use with it. That is how, like the heartbeat, Christ can be truly present to us in the Holy Meal, even as He has ascended to the Father, for He is truly present among us as His body. And just the same way your body knows what to do with the atoms you're gonna, you put in your mouth and how to, where to send them and how to replace what is going wrong or going missing, so Jesus Christ Himself knows where to send us in the body and how to gift us so that His body can continue to function and be His force, energy, power, ability out into the world. And this is why the greatest ability we have, really the, the only precondition, is availability. We want to be available for the way that God wants to use us to serve within the body, for the gifts He's given us for the building up of the body. Now, as a congregation, we, of course, as we're here together in the season of Lent. And Lent is a time for being more intentional, making ourselves more available, having that availability to serve Christ within the body. That's what all the disciplines of Lent are about. So I ask you, as, as we reflect together during this Lenten season, what are the needs of our members? Luther, Luther kind of laughed when someone asked him, what should I do with my life? Because he said, look around you. Do you see any people? What are their needs? God put you in their lives to serve them, just like He put them in your life to serve you. What are the needs of our members at this season? How can we better bear one another's burdens? To what ministries are we being called that may be new or old ministries that need to be invigorated again? What can we do that strengthens and makes the church, the visible church, more resilient as the blows of the world come against it? To what are we called by Christ? And this is, this is an important, important thing to think of because there's a lot of good we could do. But we, we unlike God, have limited resources. To what is He calling us with the gifts He has given us for this season? And that's something our spiritual growth committee has been struggling with. Trying to listen. Listen as the Spirit is speaking through our members. So hopefully by next week you'll find some boxes around the church. You're going to be able to put little slips in. I had this, I was praying, Lord, and I had this, I, I was praying to the Lord and He gave me this idea. I want to put it in the box. You're going to see our spiritual growth committee members are going to be wearing a tag. We haven't decided what color, but not white, because the council members wear that. So you can just go up to them and talk to them at the coffee hour if you feel like you're hearing something from God, and we can all together discern what, to what God's calling us. We're working on focusing on prayer even more, speaking to God, but more importantly, listening to God. You'll see going in in these two corners here, prayer stations before Easter, where 
before or after worship or after communion, you'll have the ability to kneel and pause and, and pray and light a candle. Just think and reflect actively before our Lord and listen to what you hear Him prompting you in the Spirit. We're emphasizing on an ongoing way discipleship to increase our availability to God. And we're seeking unity, unity in prayer. We want a unity that is authored of God, not us getting together with just our best ideas and asking God to bless that. See, throughout the life of our congregation at other critical junctures, that absolutely central line, probably the pivot on which the whole Lord's Prayer turns, Thy will be done. Come on. There it is. <laughs> Thy will be done has been critical to our life as a congregation. We're lifting that up again in our midst so we may know what the Lord is calling us to be and to do. And in part, that's what our meeting next week is about. And we can move forward together seeking His will, strengthening one another through our gifts and our different places in the body. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, in this Lenten season, this season of repentance, we can each of us confess in our different ways that we are not as available to your purposes as we could be. And we cling to the gospel promise that in you all of our sins are forgiven by your grace. And so we, not burdened by our past, can move forward. Learning from it, but not burdened by it so it doesn't shackle us around our ankles or make us despair in spirit, but helps us turn our face in a different direction, more actively seeking you and your will and what you're doing in our lives, both as individuals and together as your body. Strengthen and bless this little corner of your body called Holy Cross. Strengthen our ch the whole church, not just the North American Lutheran Church, but every place your people are gathered seeking your will and seeking to be transformed by your grace. Help us rise to the challenges of our new era. And Lord, as we do, help us know that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. This we ask in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best heart in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.